Welcome back, everyone. Episode four of Stairway to Sevens. First thing we have to do is thank thecover.com.au. Again, check it out. All the content on there has been written by me. Jimbo still hasn't got around to doing anything. Sorry. But <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, check it out. There's uh, a couple articles going up this week. One about NBA Jam for those gamers out there. So that'll be pretty, that'll be pretty interesting. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Good, plenty of footy on, so it's been good. Yeah, so let's uh, let's look at initially. Let's talk about uh, World School Sevens. Um, pretty exciting, pretty pretty interesting tournament. Our picks were terrible. Yeah, the the standard of footy was probably well above what I was expecting from a, an individual athlete perspective. And yeah, there was there was a couple of teams that we we tipped to be dark horses that were that were quality, and sometimes we tipped to probably be pretty strong that that underperformed. Yeah, with that in mind, was there anyone you were a little bit disappointed with? Um, probably, probably expected a little bit more from the um, New Zealand Fijians and New Zealand Dutch side, just given the the standard of footy that they play over there, and having the the um, Rebel Sevens and then Condor Sevens being the the school program they they just finished. You sort of thought they'd come into it pretty red hot, but then in saying that. Probably didn't get a lot of time together, so early on in the tournament they were mm. um, they were a bit a bit rusty, but really found their form at the back end of the tournament. But unfortunately, it was probably a little bit too late for them. The BC Elite for me were a little bit disappointing too. I thought, um, given how the senior senior team in Canada is performing, I thought they might be a little bit further along than they are. But maybe that's an infrastructure thing, and and you know, again, not knowing a, a whole lot about that program, it may not be a, a totally a national program. It might just be. Um, from that British Columbia region, yeah, yeah. The, look, the, to be honest, the biggest surprise for me was Japan. By far, by yeah. far. I know we tipped them. Not you know we we ID'd them as a potential team to you know cause upsets, but to make it all the way to the final, you know, playing playing a style of footy, we we sort of knew they were going to play. They were super quick, and especially for some of those Kiwi teams that they played against, like. They almost just couldn't handle the pace. Yeah, and the the way all, all seven girls just played rapid, and all seven of them were working all the time. And you saw against a lot of those those bigger teams that they moved around, and there was you know sometimes they were playing against five or six girls because they were just working so quickly that the, the seven defensively couldn't couldn't keep up. Yeah, so I think that's a real credit to what's going on in Japan in the space there. They've got a pretty similar um, sort of senior tournament to the Aon Uni 7 series, which is professional. But you can see that they're investing heavily in the pathway and in girls at a younger and younger age. And, you know, that group of girls, I think, probably had three or four years of footy under their belt and played a really exciting style of footy. Yeah, and you can see that they've done a whole lot of groundwork with all their core skills and and their fitness and and all of those really basic things to get them to that level. And so they're, they're ready to sort of make that big jump up to playing. Top level footy, yeah, and really push the Australians. You know, it was really, really close at halftime, and Australia, you know, just got ahead uh, at the end with you know a, a bit of a, a bit of team brilliance. But yeah, I was really, really impressed with that Japanese side. So for those of you who missed it, the top four teams in the end: New Zealand played Australia in the first semi, 
So New Zealand and Australia both topped their pool um, and Australia beat them 26-17. And then the Japanese played against the New Zealand Maoris and they they did a bit of a number on them, 24-0. And then in the final, Australia was able to take the gold medal for the second year in a row uh, against Japan, 21-12. So let's, ha- let's move on to the dream team. I think, you know, having watched most of the tournament, all of these girls are, are pretty deserving. But do you want to... Do you want to sort of go through them? Um, yeah, so we just picked a, a starting seven positionally. So, you know, there might have been some girls that were that were in and around the, the top seven, but we'll try to pick a, a playing starting seven. Um, so in that prop fast-forward role, we had Beren Tarita from Australia. Hooker, we had Cassie Tohuhiku, also from Australia. The other prop was was one of Japan's best and a really dominant ball carrier in Wakana Akita. And then scrum half, we had... Ayano Murata, also from Japan. Uh, first receiver, George Miller from New Zealand. She's a really, really exciting up-and-coming mm. player for NZ. Um, in the centres, we had Savannah Bodman. And then on the edge, Jamie Chapman from Australia as well. Yeah, that's... You look at one and seven there. You know, that, that obviously Australia had the benefit of having them on the, on the park together a lot. But particularly with Chapman... You almost have to defend her on the outside shoulder because if she gets even half a step, she'll just burn you. She's one of the fastest girls I think I've ever seen on a rugby pitch. Yeah, and, and having those two on either edge really makes you know makes the defensive line really have to spread. And that's probably what won us the, the semi and against New Zealand. And then again, the final was being able to attack down one edge with Bien and then shift it all the way to Jamie to, to finish on the other. I think the other thing that's pretty impressive about Australia's win is that there's actually three girls playing for the senior national team that were initially in the squad for this junior team but are, are, have obviously advanced so far. So to lose a girl like Ja'Kaya Whitfield to the to the World Series and still be able to, you know, drop in Bien Taylor and uh, Bien Tarita, sorry, and uh, Jamie Chapman to fill those shoes, it's pretty impressive and it's pretty exciting uh, that we have that much depth here in Australia at, at such a young age. So, so with that in mind, uh, we've actually got Nathan McMahon, assistant coach for the Australian team on Shot the line. Shot Nathan. <laughs> so he, yeah, he, he's called in. He's waiting really patiently. So uh, we'll throw to him right now. All right, mate. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, firstly, congratulations. It's a pretty pretty good way to cap off the year, mate. Yeah, it certainly was, Liam. It was um, a fantastic way to finish the year out, which has certainly been quite a long year. We started this project back in January, so a full 12 months, and uh, the finish the way we did, unreal. Yeah, and um, so I guess going back, mate, knowing that you only have this group for such a such a small period of time, what, what sort of approach are you taking to picking the team? Are you looking to just straight out pick the best 14 girls you can, or are you looking at, combinations of two or three girls or are you looking at a whole group that kind of um with with skill sets that complement each other yeah i think probably your last point there mate we're really looking to identify our skill sets to really work within the structure of how we want to build our team but also you know i think the beautiful thing about this group we have they're young mate there's only two girls go miss out um that won't go back next year and the rest of the group is at 16 17 Age group, so wow, it's a pretty exciting time. Yeah, so yeah, so you mentioned that. How how many of this group then played um, in the team that won last year? Uh, mate, 
I think B beat Brianna was the only one returning okay. from memory. Yeah. So there's quite a fair bit of a turnover there in players. Um, but, you know, if we look to the team that was in Cape Town, we could have had the likes of Madison Ashby, Jakari Whitfield and Sarai Pucky with us. You know, it just shows the depth in Australian Sevens is right now. It's young and it's heading in the right direction. Yeah, and do you think that's, uh, I guess, a product of of girls now getting into the game, you know, much younger? So previously we had them getting into the game at 19, 20, 21. Now we're seeing them get into the game at 13, 14. Do you think that's had a pretty significant impact? I would agree with you there, Liam, but probably throw a question back at you, mate. Do you reckon this age group we're seeing coming through is the direct result of the success from Rio? Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, and I think, you know, that um, having won that gold medal and then Rugby Australia sort of recognising a need to build some infrastructure, especially in the women's game. So you're just seeing it's it's a high-profile sport. More and more girls want to play. And then because they can see a clear pathway, I think um, they're, they're jumping from other sports, say, like touch, like like Oztag. You know, we're even seeing netballers and, and some basketballers come across because the pathway is really clear. And then there's probably... You know, I guess if you look at this group too, and, and even if you look at the the players playing in the Aeon series, I think it's just a really talented age group. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. But I think also we've got to look at a lot of these girls have probably had three to four years worth of rugby underneath their belt. And some of them maybe have been playing with boys back in the day. So where mm. they used to have to stop, now they've got the avenue to keep doing their rugby and We've certainly seen the rewards for it. Yeah, well, that was certainly one thing that was evident watching that semi-final against New Zealand. Our girls seemed to be a little bit more battle-hardened. So it looked like they had a bit more footy under their belt. And then I guess because a, bit, a bunch of them have been playing in the Aon series against women, they've had good quality tough reps. So they just seemed a little bit more physical. And then you couple that with a high skill level, they just looked a little bit more battle-hardened. And New Zealand perhaps weren't quite as prepared for that. Yeah, I just, mate, you could see that. But you could also see the fitness levels of our girls against mm. them. We knew that if we could just weather that storm for that first four-minute period and then really start to put the foot down the pedal, that they wouldn't stick with us. Mm. Um, and everyone exposed to there in the crowd would just say, you know, the build of our girls and the way they were shaped and formed, you could tell that they came in fit and ready to go. Yeah, well, it was it was definitely evident watching that game. And then... Again, watching the game, uh, watching the final against the Japanese. I guess just moving back a little bit. When, once you sort of had your had your group together, your your fourteen. Were there any specific areas you wanted to focus on? We had a big focus on defence, and that was yep. uh, Lockie Parkinson's domain. Yep. He looked after that side of the ball, and Lockie did an outstanding job. We we just had simple policies in place, and really key. Um, KPIs for the girls to hit around that area and they were outstanding. You can't bowl them in their defence. Obviously in the final we maybe there was a couple of overreads or missed tracks but you know defensively the girls were brilliant. Yeah you could really see they were confident you know within that defensive structure. It's probably one of the, the areas in sevens where you really you really do want to drum in structure. You know in, in the attack you obviously have a shape and, and some things you want to achieve but you could definitely see 
they were really confident uh, with the girl inside and outside them. So they were really able to press teams and put a lot of pressure on. Yeah, correct. Look, we've got to give our skipper, Bella Nasser, a really big mm. pat on the back. Her composure and the way she led that team around, it's something I obviously haven't seen for a long time in sevens. Just the yeah. way she was so composing, key moments and running water. I didn't have to say a word, to be honest. And mm. she just led the charge from that point of view. But probably going on to our tax side of the ball, Liam, that, you know, as Australians, we all love to coach our attack and we all want to play attacking footy. But yep. I think we've got to really start to put more focus into our defence and, and that side of that brutal contact. If we can get our girls contact hard and we're natural footballers as, as it is. We love to attack. So they're things that come natural to the girls. It's probably working on those hard areas that we've got to challenge them just a little bit more. Mm, it, it's interesting talking to, I've got a couple of mates in the coaching setup in New Zealand and that's really their focus. They, they kind of believe that everyone knows how to attack. Everyone's been attacking. Everyone's done skills since the time they were kids. So to the, the, the main focus, you know, 90, 90% of what they work on is their defense because you know, the reality is if, if your defense is good, you only need one score to win. Yeah, that's correct. I think, mate, it's just making sure everyone's on the same page with your defence structure in seven. Yeah. As you know, it just takes for one person not to buy into what you're trying to do and shoot off and do their own thing. And yep. it, it sends mayhem in, in around the girls. But I think one thing we had a huge focus on across our program was around that getting turnovers and the ability to mm. read when to go for a turnover and when not to. Mm. I think you probably saw that across the weekend of how uh, advanced our girls are in that area versus other teams. Yeah, totally. And and what it's really exciting and impressive is the decision making there, as as you touched on, the knowing when to attack it and when to leave it. And and you know, even a couple of times I saw girls sort of know they weren't going to win it, but disrupt it and then get work really hard to get back in the defensive line, which which just slows the ball up enough to give you time to get your get your D line back together. So it's. Yeah, it's, it was evident uh, that that was an area you'd worked on and, it, and it's really good to see um, looking at the next level uh, up with the senior national team. You know, that's an area that's become crucial in the women's game is is being able to retain your ball but then also being able to, to turn it over and then doing something with it once you do turn it over. Correct, mate. Again, that, I've got to give Lockie Parkinson a massive rap. He, that was his area of domain and he did a fantastic job. Oh, that's awesome. And then going into the tournament, you know, you've obviously been involved, you at UN Parker for for a little while with the, you know, with that tournament. Did you know much about the opposition teams going in? Well, we, we had a fair idea about who was who in the competition. Um, it's sort of lucky on the Wednesday night we had a welcoming ceremony. Yep. So... Paco and myself were virtually eyeing off the opposition, like looking at, you know, if they're athletically built, if they had a tall girl, or if they had yeah. big girls. And, you know, we we were certainly eyeing them off from that point of view and trying to work out, okay, well, we think this is what they're going to do. Mm. Um, probably was a little bit different at this tournament, mate, is you, you, two fields are running at the same time. Yeah. So you never get any crossover. You can't see your opponent playing yeah, for the yeah, next right. game. Yep. So you're virtually going by, okay, what was the score line? asking questions of some people in the crowd, did you see them, what did you see? Um, but, you know, our key focus was we knew 
who the big guns were yep. and what we needed to prepare for them. Yep. And um, so then I guess another another question on your selection process with that in mind, knowing you had you had sort of limited knowledge, was was the Aon Uni 7s um, series sort of a, a key component in, in picking those girls who really were able to, to stand up at, at that level? Yeah, correct. I think if you look at the 14 girls we took away, only two girls didn't play Aon. Yep. Um, and, you know, we narrowed our squad down to 16 girls at the end of Aon that we were um, tracking and keen to look at. Um, and two girls just jumped off the radar at the new nationals all like, We've just got to pick them. They were just too good. And, you know, they showed something different that probably the other girls didn't mm. that were sitting inside that squad. And I think that was a beautiful thing that we're, um, we weren't afraid to go outside the box and bring something new in that we thought could help the team. Yeah, well, I, I was that was going to be my next question, which you answered. But, yeah, it was it was really good. Sorry, to, mate. I'll, no, no, that's I'll all right. You, I'll <laughs> let you stick with your rhythm. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. So th- that, was, that was actually really good to see that, you know, a, a couple of girls who weren't necessarily on your radar through the Aon series, potentially because of the the quality of the of the teams they would have been playing with up up in Queensland, to have a really outstanding performance at the Youth Nationals and then get rewarded for that. I think you know that that's a credit to to you and Parco to be able to you know effectively change your mind or, or or you know adjust what you're thinking based on based on a performance. But it also outlines that that Junior Nationals is still really important. Oh, it's, it's absolutely massive what we're doing in that space of that 16 to, well, 15, 17 year old, really. Mm. Um, and the quality of football is getting better. Mm. It's improving. It's good to see the girls who have played Aon drop back down and, and play there. It certainly gives us benchmarks where everyone's at mm. in, the, in the competition. Um, but I think there's some really exciting developments on the horizon for younger players to start their journey to representing football and certainly Aon at a younger age. Yeah, and, it, and it, you know, it, it's it's good to see that there are, you know, one of the things we have struggled with in rugby um, in general is sort of getting a clear pathway. Sometimes it's a bit convoluted and sometimes the jump is really big. You know, as you know, back in the day, jumping from club rugby to super rugby, um, you know, players struggled with it because it was, you know, you basically go from an, an amateur set up to a professional setup. So it's really good to see those girls in the Aon series drop back down, but keep that high standard, which brings the level of the other girls up. And then it gives, you know, having that pathway there gives, gives them something to strive for. And that was the most notable thing at the youth nationals for myself is the girls who have played Aon were on point with their recovery. Mm. They knew where they had to be. And it's, it's a flow on effect. Yeah. And you know how easy it is to, you know, once they, they understand their process of how they go about things and mm. from a coaching point of view, it makes your life a lot easier. You don't have to worry about chasing kids are they doing their re- recovery sessions. Um, you know, even down to the reviews, you've got girls who have played Aon, they're leading the reviews and talking to the coaches, hey, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. Yeah, so, it's, I mean, it's, it's awesome. And, you know, selfishly for you, see, looking at, Looking at um, those girls who dropped back down, it was also an opportunity for them to lead. So, you know, they tended to spend most of the season being led by the girls who'd been in the program for two or three years and then at time times the, the Australian girls coming back down. But to actually see them then, you know, drop back down into that junior space and take on 
leadership role. And as you say, leading, leading some of the team huddles, really focusing on their recovery, really ripping in um, and playing hard, playing at a really high level. And, and that, that just shows the other girls, all right, that's the standard I need to get to. You know, if I'm 15, that's the standard I need to get to in two years' time. Yeah, correct. It's fantastic to see, mate. It's only going to be a stepping stone for what Australian rugby has to hold. Mm. So I guess um, last question for you, mate. What's what's next for this group? So I know you said a lot of them are going to return, but you know those who are graduating out, and even those who are are a bit more um, advanced at at their young age. You know, what's the next step for them? Uh, next step from here, mate. I think. They'll come back into the national program again next year. So yep. we've got some exciting things happening in that space that you saw last year, a couple of camps. Yep. Um, next year, we'll probably have three camps across the year. And virtually really try and get this group prepared to go into Aon now and really step up mm-hmm. and, and try and dominate that space. As you know, every coach now is getting better and more skillful and more onto their PID side of things, so it's really important that we make sure those girls are ready to go for Aon and make sure they, they come back and make an impression yep. and show the reason why we invested in them to be that next generation of youth players coming through. Yep. Yeah, and it, it's really, you know, it's got to be really exciting for John, as you say. You you could have had a team that, that had Jakai Whitfield, um, Faith Nathan, you know, all those all those young girls uh, who, are, who are now getting real reps on the World Series. So it's got to be exciting for John to go, well, we've got this crop, we've got another crop coming through and, you know, potentially three or four more to go over the next four years and into the next Olympic cycle. So it's a pretty exciting time for sevens in Australia. Yeah, definitely, mate. But it's just not about the next Olympic cycle. you got to remember you got Commonwealth Games in between that. Yeah, true. Um, World Cup. And World Cup. Consistent it's performances it's, on the on the World Series too. Yeah, correct. It's, it's a really exciting time for these girls. And you know what? There's much respect for the group that's there now. But at some stage, these girls want to start families and, and move away from rugby. They've been there for a long time. But I think we've got a really exciting group coming through that can. we don't have to have such a drop away. We've got a really mm. opportunity to slot girls straight in and get them going straight away. But... um you know what, mate? Bring on Aon next year. It's gonna, yeah. it's gonna un- that's the exciting thing. It's going to unearth a whole heap of new girls again that are going to step up. And this group that we took away, no one's safe. You know, you got to understand. Exactly. You got to earn earn your place every time. And I think someone from came from your program, mate. I think you guys know massive rap is with Ella Ryan. She was outstanding for us. She picked up the nickname Doctor. So <laughs> Doc Ryan, I like it. Yeah, Doc Ryan. So Doctor was outstanding. She, um, you know, she filled was able to do a lot of roles for us, mm. covering in the forwards to being a playmaker out of the back. And mm. she's got a skill right now that's a huge point of difference is her kicking. So mm. she's got to really, you know, keep doing what she's doing. And I'm not sure that might be Bindi's domain, is it? <laughs> yeah, doing that's the kicking that's, practice. Yeah, that's all Bindi do it. Doing uh, kicking, but he he can't do it because he he pulls his hamstring every time. So he he's got oh, a few videos. Well, mate, let's offer you guys something, not just free shoes and get, get the out of it, stuff. Nathan. <laughs> oh, you're there. <laughs> nice to hear from you, Bindi. Oh, he hasn't got his headphones on, but he just he just wanted to throw one comment in for you. 
sure. All right, mate. I appreciate your time and uh, appreciate your kind words. And uh, yeah, I look forward to I look forward to catching up in the new year and and then ripping in and and uh, staring at you from the opposition sideline during the Aon Uni Seven series. Beautiful boys. Have a good Chrissy, and uh, we'll catch up all soon. All right, mate. Appreciate it. Yeah, so thanks again, Nathan. That was uh, that was really interesting, and yeah, James and I certainly can't wait to uh, to go head to head with you again at the uh, at the Aon. And you, Jack Bowie. Yeah, we're coming for you, Bowie. Uh, so look, I guess we'll move on now, looking at the World Series. So, so for those of you who don't know, on the same weekend as the Junior Junior Worlds, we had uh, round three at Cape Town for the women. So Australia. Again, really close. Uh, made it all the way to the final. Our tips again were terrible. Yeah, I, we we're only one off in the top four with the the US. Um, just not quite getting there. But yeah, it was it again a really consistent tournament from sort of those top top six teams, which is pretty exciting for the the World Series being in in round three. I think that's that's one thing that's become really clear is that there are six teams really in the hunt here and and probably those five being New Zealand, Australia, Canada, France and USA are really stamping their mark on this competition and are the benchmark. It's really good and exciting that we've had a, a couple of different uh, looks in the final in terms of teams that have made that final. But yeah, it's really clear now that there's probably five, it's probably a five-team race um, and it's not unsurprising given they're the same five teams from last year but also given their form uh, coming through the Olympic qualifiers and 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 through the, the World Series in the first couple of rounds. Yeah, and, and the only one of those that, that's not qualified is is France for the, for the Olympics. So you'd have to be putting your money on that repercharge, uh, France, to, to win that repercharge leading into the Olympics. Yeah, and I, I watch them and, I, and they are playing with a real chip on their shoulder. They probably feel like they missed an opportunity there to to qualify through Europe the easy way. But for those of you who don't know, that that Great Britain side, it's not England. It's a, it's an amalgamation um, of the Great British team. So there's a couple of, of players who are playing with other uh, World Series teams that are, that are part of that Great British squad. So it, it is a slightly different squad. And France probably didn't, ha- didn't know much about them, so they probably just um, were a little bit surprised at how organised they were. So it is good to see, definitely good to see France play. So... F- for those of you who didn't watch uh, and are just listening to us, because this is the only podcast dedicated to women's sevens in the world, uh, for the bronze final, France played against Canada and be, and lost 22-17. And in the gold final, Australia uh, struggled a little bit against New Zealand. Yeah, it almost looked like we were we were a little bit nervous, especially early on in that in that first half. Pushed a couple of passes that probably didn't need to be pushed. We could have taken it to ground, recycled the ball a little bit better. But then in saying that, if those passes come off and we score, then, you know, we're, we're raving about the the flick pass or the, you know, pushing that extra switch. Um, yeah, and I think you want to encourage that. You know, you don't want to stifle too much creativity. And if, if those passes are on, you you know, the only way to get better at them, the only way that they do end up sticking is, is to throw them. So I think, you know, the, yes, disappointing... Um, and and they were probably thrown because we felt we needed to, rather than rather than you know it's on. We've practiced this. Um, and we think this will stick. It was more of a we need to make something happen. So it became frantic. And, w- and once you start to play that way, 
it, it gets a little bit tough. Do we want to talk a little bit about that contentious charge down knock on call? Yeah, it was, I mean it was it was dubious, but at the, at the same time there were there were a number of other calls in uh, in the semis. I think that that past Demi through to, to for the match winning try was probably about yeah against France yeah four and a half kilometers forward. <laughs> so you know that, it it um it went both ways, but yeah, I, I definitely think the charge down and pick up by Shannon Perry was pretty pretty unbelievable skill by her to. Mm. Knock it down, pick it up straight away, and look to recycle the ball. Um, but yeah, un- unfortunately, undid us, and then they scored their, their second try into the post off that scrum. So. Yeah, which is a little bit of a backbreaker in the end, and yeah. and obviously proved the well close to the difference in the game. Yeah. But but I think it's that game was although we lost, and it, you know it, it maybe wasn't the performance the girls wanted. I do think it is really exciting, as you mentioned about that they've got you know they've got the license to be creative, and they're looking to to play some creative creative dynamic. Football because leading into the Olympics when we when we start to get those things right they're they're the chances that are going to win us the gold medal or or you know win us the semi to get into the the gold mm. medal final all though those sort of top five six teams are are all going to get to the same level and we just need that that little bit of X factor just to to put us on top yeah and you know the the only way to get better at those things is to practice you know you can't tell me watching you know the Fijian women and the men for that matter that they don't practice keeping the ball off the deck, they don't practice those offload lines and and, and popping those balls up for... for Since when they were about four, I yeah. reckon, <laughs> most of them. Yeah, so, it, yeah, it is exciting uh, that they've been given a bit of a licence. It's not something that traditionally in Australian rugby across the board we've we've allowed as coaches, is that sort of offload game, but you, you, you can see it and how damaging it can be uh, there was a really interesting stat when Australia played Fiji. So at halftime, the Fijians had thrown nine offloads and Australia had thrown none. And at that point, Fiji was still in the game. So you can see how that builds pressure and, and creates opportunities uh, for, for points, but but also tires out the defence because you're constantly covering. Yeah, and, and you cannot be necessarily making go-forward metres, but but consistently moving the defence around, mm. waiting for that opportunity to open up. It's it's almost like that, that touch-footy style of attack, just... Shifting the D until mm. until there's an opening and then going bang. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, really, really exciting. Um, I did have a bit of a text conversation with with Yasmin Meeks after the game, or, or a couple of couple of days after the game, and you know she was really excited in that they they'd got there and they've been getting there consistently. But one thing that really uh, impressed me is that she said they need to learn how to stand up in those big games. Uh, which is, you know, which, to be honest, you you don't learn how to stand up in those big games unless you're playing in them. Um, but it's really interesting to hear her mindset around that, saying, you know, yes, we got there, but if we want to be the top team, we need we need to play our best game at the end of a tournament. Yeah, and I think we definitely saw massive improvement from Dubai into Cape Town from, you know, from our our regular starting seven. But it was also exciting to see another young girl in Jakaya come in and. Be super super successful straight away, mm. um, as well as some of those those fringe squad players coming in and, and really performing throughout the whole se- the the whole tournament. So, yeah, and it's good to see. You know, we did we did touch on this a couple of weeks ago, early on that you know we would expect John to rotate the squad a little bit. So it is really good to see. You know, so we. We had uh, Hanaway have a really good tournament in Dubai and then Jakaya to come in and make her debut in Cape Town, play really well. You know, Yazho's rotated in. Um, 
it is really good to see there's a bit of rotation, you know, for those bench spots. Yeah, and I think that's that's something we've sort of spoken about with with UC is giving those those new girls or those girls debuting good minutes to be successful, give them opportunities to to play some successful footy, and then and then bring them back out and and slowly just drip feed them more and more minutes, building up their confidence and and their IQ. Yeah, I I don't think enough can be said for you know getting on the field, and I certainly experienced this as a player. One. <laughs> I'll share a little story. One one of my first first grade games uh, playing in New Zealand for the University of Otago, if there's anyone listening from over there, up the students, up the bookworms. Uh, so I was 19 years old, so uh, tight head prop, um, pretty young to be playing playing first grade. And I was super nervous leading into the game. You know, obviously a lot of training and stuff had gone into that. But, you know, the one thing, all I could think about is, Case Muse is on the other team. So for those of you who don't know, Case, I think he played about 80 tests for the All Blacks. He was he was at the back end of his career, but um, he really was a scary, imposing individual. He was enormous and and a and a highly touted scrummager. So going in, all I could think about was, man, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to scrummage against Case. And when I eventually got subbed on, probably with about 20 or 25 minutes to go, I got subbed on straight into a scrum which is one of the most difficult things to do because you come from a warm-up where you, you know, club footy, you run up and down the field a couple of times and, and then the ball gets kicked out and they go, Liam, get on the field. So straight into a scrum and I'm staring at Case Muse going, okay, this is going to be interesting. And I go in and first thing, my head's up my ass. Like just <laughs> absolutely destroys me. And... Then I spent the next 20 minutes not really being in the game because all I could think about was the poor rep I'd just had. So I think giving opportunities and, and putting those younger players in into the game where they have an opportunity to be successful, whether that be off a set piece for, a, for an edge player uh, to run a starter or you know late in a game um, when they're up or early in a game to get those nerves out, not enough can be said for getting a player onto the field getting a good rep in and then bringing them back out because then when they get their next involvement, the the confidence is there. Like, well, I just had a good rep. Like, I can do it at this level. And, and you could see John do that with Jakar. And, and to be honest, it was probably to get Elia off after that five-minute mark and then be able to bring him back on at the end. But what that allowed Jakar to do is come on, get two quality minutes before halftime and then, you know, another three or four in the second half where she was already in the game. She was already confident. And you, you saw she scored three or four tries in that, you know, the start of that second half because she had the confidence and she was she was right in the game. And one thing with her that, that really surprised me, and I know we've seen it on the Aon level, you know, she's she's dominated on the edge for Sydney Uni for two seasons now. But the the way she was able to play really strong, confident football. Like yes, she's she's not massive in physique, but she plays really, really strong. But also the way she was able to ID space, pick up the ball, you know, that scoot she had where she picked up the ball, ran over the the opposition winger and then you know, run thirty meters and score. That that sort of stuff comes from getting those little bit, those little minutes early on in the tournament, where she really gets confidence and then backs her ability. Yeah, and it's it's a credit to John probably there too, given you know she she had the confidence to take that to scoot. That, yeah, you know some 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 players may feel you know I can't take that scoot. I'm not I'm not up to this level. But yeah, at- some may scoot every time. <laughs> 
That's a little Jimbo humor there. That's that's a Jimbo special. Halfback that doesn't pass. <laughs> but uh, no, and as Nathan sort of touched on earlier, you know, giving them the freedom to do that, not not necessarily uh, playing with too much structure, but focusing a lot on their IQ. So focusing on decision making, when to attack the ball, when to scoot, and actually looking up at what the defense is showing you, rather than or or the or the attack, to be honest, rather than you know getting into a rigid structure where you're like, oh, I need to be here, I need to do this. So, yeah, it's it, it's it's definitely exciting to see. And, you know, I think the world is their oyster for some of those young younger players. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's a really exciting time for Aussie rugby at the moment. Obviously, speaking to Nathan, we've got, you know, massive depth coming through and we've got a really good squad building into Tokyo. So I think 2020 is going to be a big year for the, the Aussie Sevens girls. Yeah, all right. So let's... Uh Let's move on to the dream team. So I'll do this one, mate. I'll do right. I'll do the honors this if time. If you can read my handwriting, go right ahead. <laughs> he's uh he's brought his best pen today, people, so his handwriting's much better. So this week we had uh, Shani Williams again from Australia, Niall Williams from New Zealand, Brittany Ben from Canada, Kelly Brazier from New Zealand, Alev Kelter from USA. Elia Green, who had an unreal tournament. Yeah, the green machine. <laughs> from Australia. And uh, Chislaine Landry from Canada. Again, so it's a, a fairly similar team to Dubai, which I think you'd expect given a lot of those players played well in the short turnaround. You know, sometimes that form does end up carrying over. Yeah, and I think like looking at Alev Kelter, she was probably unlucky to miss out in Dubai to, to Kirsch. But then, you know, looking at this Cape Town 7s, the two of them, were really dominant in the middle of the field for America. And, you know, Kirsch is probably unlucky to miss out on this dream mm. team. And then I think the same can probably be said with the, the two NZ girls. So it's Kelly Brazier and Niall instead of Stacey and um, Ruby Tui. And I think the four of them, again, were, were the best players for New Zealand and, and four of the probably the top six across the tournament. So Yeah, yeah they were huge in that final. Partic- yeah. Particularly Tui, that was her best game. I think that she sort of used that tournament to build to have her best performance in that game. And as you say, probably, you know, you probably could have had all four of them in here. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think is really exciting for Elia is she broke the all-time try-scoring record for Australia. So 130? Yeah. Pretty pretty impressive uh, for someone who picked up the game pretty late in life. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's exciting for Emily Cherry's, you know, looking to come back into the fold. So Elia's going to have to keep keep getting those meat pies, are they? <laughs> yeah. Cherry will be back on top. It'll be a, it'll be pretty uh, uh, pretty exciting uh, internal internal battle they're going to have, especially yeah. if Cherry you know comes back mid year and she's playing in the centre. She won't be passing earlier much. <laughs> My meat pies, <laughs> just like a young Jimbo. That's it. As long as they're gluten free. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've clocked it, mate. That uh, that just about wraps up uh, episode four. We. Have a bit of a break now in terms of world World Series events. So, the next round for the for the women is Hamilton Sevens on the twenty fifth and twenty sixth of January, and then another back to back. So the following week is the Sydney Sevens on the first and second live podcast Sydney Sevens. Oh, well, I'll get it. We'll get Patty Fuchs on the phone. We'll see. Nathan McMahon, get us a box. <laughs> uh, if you haven't got your tickets. For that yet, you can head to the Rugby Australia website. Uh, there's a, I think there's a bit of a special at the moment uh, to get to get some early bird tickets and some, you know, potentially a nice Christmas present. 
you know. I've heard Avocado Man's going to be back. I think Jim listens to the podcast, so Jim, Jim, if you're listening <laughs> for Christmas for Jimbo. All right, thanks again, Jimbo. Thanks again, uh, Nath. Uh, we really appreciate both. I really appreciate both your both your time. Uh, yeah, thanks, Nath. Much appreciated, mate. <laughs> O'Keefe, mate. Sorry, he's here again, waiting. But we just ran out of time. Next I'm, week. Apologies, next week. Apologies. I promise. Maybe next week. Uh, if you haven't already, check out thecover.com.au and we will be back next week with another mystery guest. Bye. Sit, Jay, on the moon.